What the? History. 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 Hello and welcome to What the History, your fortnightly bite-sized bits of bizarre history to satisfy all your insatiable history cravings. Jeez, that was a big long one. <laughs> you yeah. really wanted to get it out there. All I right. did, I did. I've been working that one for a bit. Hi, I'm Trevor Holland. <laughs> and I'm Susie Holland. And, uh, yeah, we're here to share strange items of history with you in our, uh, in our little podcast for your enjoyment. Yes. And so, Susie, what do you have for us this fortnight? Okay, I'm quickly getting the reputation, I guess, of a researcher of the macabre. This week I'm going to talk about, or this fortnight I'm going to talk about the victims' balls. Now, they're not balls of victims, but they are actually balls, as in dances, as in parties, as in, yay! But yeah, I'll start off with, a lot of you um, know about the French Revolution, where in the latter part of 18th century France, a lot of people started losing their heads, literally, <laughs> courtesy of a more humane, and I'm putting that in inverted commas, well, I guess it was pretty humane, it got rid of people very quickly, sadly. Yeah, so the guillotine was apparently a more humane way of permanently to get rid of someone for good. Obviously, that's what permanently means, for good. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, okay, I'll see. Now, the French Revolution began in 1789 and targeted royalty. King Louis XVI, of course, and Marie Antoinette, his queen, were both beheaded in 1793. And it also targeted aristocrats. Aristocrats. There I go again. Aristocrats. <laughs> oh, God. Um, and anyone deemed to be enemies of the state by Maximilien Robespierre, who was an influential leader of the revolutionaries. Now, the country was a right royal mess, <laughs> literally, <laughs> due to starvation, high taxes. Um, well, the, only the people paid the taxes because the church and the state and the aristocrats <laughs> and royalty didn't pay it. Oh, God. So the French um, French people had had more than enough, and they marched and looted and rioted and protested and ripped the hell out of the centuries-old feudal system and replaced it with a system of government that fostered equality, free speech, representative government, and um, the aristocrats and royalty yay, represented the old way, and they needed to go for good. And it's said that Robespierre struggled with sending Louis XVI to the guillotine, and he really struggled with it with his peers and things, and in the end he just said, yeah, he has to go. So Louis XVI was found guilty of crimes against the state, and Marie Antoinette followed him nine months later. Now, extremely watered-down version of the Reign of Terror this is, okay? But what I want to talk about is not the French Revolution. It's what happened after the French Revolution. So, so what happened after the revolution had died down and the remaining aristocracy looked around them, and um, I reckon they were a bit dazed about it all. You know, they saw their families torn apart and sent to the guillotine and they were probably wondering why they were spared. They were probably looking around them and having their own what the moment. And I'm here to enlighten you all about the victims' balls, or the, excuse my French here, the balls de victimes, 
These balls were held at the Hotel Thurlusson in Paris beginning in 1795 after the death of Robespierre, who ironically actually met the guillotine himself. Now, this, these balls had a very strict admittance code. Now, you had to be a close relative of a victim of the Reign of Terror or have narrowly escaped the guillotine yourself. And the dress code was quite minimal, and I'm talking about long undergarment dresses with 17 pearl buttons. And the 17 was a reference to the Dauphin, who would have been Louis the Seventeenth if he succeeded to the French throne. There was no shoes or ribbons on the ladies' feet. Well, they just either were barefoot or they just had ribbons around them, like in a Roman sort of way, crisscrossing. And they were wearing mourning clothes and crepe armbands of mourning black. Now, the clothing continued to be minimal until the survivors got their fortunes back, which some of them did, and ball dress, like proper ball dress, began to creep in, but the majority continued to wear the minimal clothing. Uh, now, the minimal clothing was to, I suppose, pay homage to their relatives who were wearing minimal clothing when they went to the guillotine. The ladies were stripped down to their undergarments and their hair was cropped or put into a mob cap and they were barefoot. So it was, it's paying homage to them. And the most notable piece of clothing the party goers had to wear was a single red ribbon worn around the neck for both women and men. And some of these ribbons had cameos attached, and this symbolized the guillotine slicing, removal of the head from the body. And the ball goers, like I said before, their, their long hair was either cut or piled on top of the head, leaving the neck exposed in the style it was on the way, on, in the way it was for their relative's death. Now, the dancing they had there was quite interesting. Um, the dancing was a way to celebrate the lives of these aristocrats, <laughs> and they had escaped, um, the fact that they had escaped, and also to mimic the stories of, that some of the people destined for the guillotine actually danced um, through the streets and up the stairs to the guillotine because there was a lot, it's a massive party atmosphere actually at the guillotine. So they danced, and some of them danced. It was... Uh, and so these people at the balls danced as well. And at the balls of victims, or the, the victims' balls, men and women would ask each other to dance by quickly jerking their heads downwards to mimicking the, to mimic the jerking of the head when it was removed from the body. So that would have been the way that someone asked you to dance, which is quickly like a nod straight down to, down, like nose to chest. And yeah, so they did lots and lots of imagery and lots of, I suppose, celebration um, and maybe commiseration as well of their relatives. Now, as the ball attire didn't keep the ladies warm, cloth was draped across the shoulders, and that was now, as we know it today, as the shawl. And the colour, of course, was red in reference to the royalist Charlotte Corday, who disguised the knife she used to murder Marat, another revolutionary, in her scarf, or in another story, her corset. Okay, now these balls were a massive status symbol. Anybody who was anybody wanted to go to these balls or was already at them. So what people used to do as well to gain admittance was to, I suppose, gussy up their family trees a bit and put names of certain aristoc um, aristocrats in there that had actually been murdered um, at the guillotine and they they weren't the real members of their family just to gain admittance into this uh, big party so what the history wow pretending that your ancestry was executed just to attend the ball hell yeah 
Fair yeah, enough. No, it was a big party thing, and, you know, and I mean, there would have been wine and music and dancing and... All right, uh, I don't really have an easy segue to, to <laughs> mine, I must add, except, you know, you may find strange things in your ancestry, <laughs> but sometimes you need to find yourself. <laughs> story and my story is about a woman who shall we say found herself in iceland in a very what the history way and now this is actually a really short one even compared to our short podcast standards but some things are so out there they just have to be discussed however briefly and in this case the term finding yourself takes on a whole new meaning on the 25th of august 2012, yes, really ancient history, (laughs) a tour bus made a stop in a volcanic crater known as Algia, I think that's how it's pronounced, (laughs) located in the southern highlands of Iceland. One woman decided it was a good time to freshen up and change her clothes. When it was time to go, no one could see her. The bus driver waited an extra hour before reporting the woman, described as Asian, 160 centimetres, in dark clothing and speaks English well, uh, reporting her as missing. The search by the authorities, the bus driver, and a number of the passengers went on for hours. The Icelandic Coast Guard even had a helicopter ready to join the search, but had to wait for foggy conditions to clear. About 3am the following morning, a woman approached the police with some vital information. She had realised that the woman she had been searching for with the rest of the group was in fact herself. (laughs) It transpired that after getting changed and cleaned up, the other passengers didn't recognise her. The authorities also stated that she was not to blame due to an incorrect headcount on the bus when it was ready for departure. Now, if a woman unknowingly joining a search party for herself isn't what history enough for you, it turns out this isn't the first time this has occurred in Iceland. What is it about Iceland? I don't know. (laughs) But according to Iceland Review Online, in 1954 an extensive search was undertaken for a young girl in a red coat who had gone missing from a group who had gone berry picking. The search went on for hours before they realised the girl was participating in the search party. The problem was the description of the girl's clothing was incorrect. So, (laughs) I guess the moral of this is that if you're on a tour in Iceland, don't change your clothes. (laughs) At all. Ever. Yeah. This is is an important safety tip from your friends here at What The History. Yee-hoo! Not even. (laughs) I'm shaking my head. I am shaking my head. (laughs) I think it's classic. Like, like, when I found the story, I thought, there's not quite enough here, but then I read that it had happened before, as like, okay, this is going in the podcast, I don't care how short it is. That was great. Absolutely. That was great, yeah. Iceland. Now, now you can go and lose yourself and find yourself in Iceland. Search for yourself, you literally. search for yourself. That's right. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. This is the giggling podcast. It is. And... Look, we hope you have gotten at least as many giggles as we have and enjoyed these two two little brief tastes of history of the more bizarre kind. Uh, If you do want to know any more about either of the topics, we've got all our references in the podcast description down below. Just scroll down there and start clicking to find out more. 
And of course, if you want to uh, let us know what you thought, or if you've got some what the history of your own that you think we should look into, we would love to hear from you. You can head to our homepage, wthpod.rufusproject.com, and leave comments below this very episode. You can find What the History Podcast on Facebook, or you can even send us an email to wthpod at rufusproject.com. We would love to hear from you, and um, we'd also love it if, say, if you're downloading this through iTunes or a podcast player, why not rate and review us on there as well? Just don't judge me too harshly this week. My voice is all feral. It's all good. Mm. It's all good. It still sounds lovely. <laughs> right. Look, particularly if you did enjoy the podcast... Why not share it around and let your friends know? We are gradually or your creeping enemies. up. Or anyone. <laughs> your workmates, colleagues, strangers in the streets. We don't care. We're <laughs> gradually <laughs> creeping up on those numbers and we would like to keep them growing. So your help would be much appreciated. Those people who get dressed up in kangaroo suits and with buckets, I reckon they would love this podcast. Quite possibly. <laughs> They'd probably like it more if you stop hitting the desk. Okay, I'm tapping the desk. (laughs) We'll be back in two weeks with another couple of bits of bizarre history to make you say, What the the history? history. (laughs) Good night, all.